I love Lent. I know it's sort of a strange season to adore. Perhaps you're someone who grinds your teeth and muscles through the weeks of fasting. Maybe you stay silent because you just don't feel like fasting is all that important, but everyone around you is super invested. Or perhaps you believe that Lent is an unnecessary season, an attempt to earn favor with God when we already have God's grace. Although Lent is not a season outlined in scripture, it's been a way for Christians to mark time since at least the early fourth century. Today, I'm excited to share with you why it might be just the season you need this year. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you have come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you're about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that your time in the kitchen can be a bit less frantic and maybe even a time for prayer. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well. Asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Slow your breathing, and now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale. Is this not the fast I have chosen? And as you exhale, to set the oppressed free. I remember the first time I attempted Lent. It was the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, and my older sister Alyssa, in third grade at the time, had learned about the season at school. She decided to give up tuna salad and was eating one last tuna sandwich for dinner to prepare. She explained that the day before Lent began was a time to indulge in whatever you planned to give up. So I decided I'd give up sugar, which meant I could binge on sweets for the rest of the night. Alyssa dutifully continued her fast all the way until Easter, but I gave up about two days in. The next time I actively participated in Lent, I was in college and enamored with the liturgical practices of my new church. The season of Lent was ubiquitous among Christians from the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 all the way until the Reformation. The writings of 2nd century church historians Irenaeus and Tertullian suggest that some kind of pre-Easter fast was the norm, even before the 4th century, but it's Nicaea that marks the start of the 40-day fast we know today. The purpose of this fast was to serve as a long period of instruction and preparation for those who would be baptized on Easter Sunday. 
The fast mirrored the many 40-day fasts in scripture, most notable among them, Jesus' 40-day fast at the start of his ministry. The specifics of the fasts have varied over the years, with some Christians living off of only bread and water, and some limiting their food intake to a single meal each day. For medieval Catholics, it was common to fast from meat and dairy, inspiring a diet of salted herring and, for those who could afford it, crystallized ginger chews to help take the salty taste away. Eastern Orthodox Christians follow a similar fasting regimen to this day, forgoing meat, dairy, and even vertebrate fish. Those shellfish are allowed. In Orthodox tradition, fasts are a regular part of life, even beyond the season of Lent. Every Wednesday and Friday is a fast day, with the exception of the celebratory seasons like Christmas, Pentecost, and Easter. The cuisine of heavily Orthodox regions is influenced by these rhythms. Think about the prevalence of vegan or shellfish dishes in the Greek diet. After the Reformation, some Protestants gave up the Lenten fast, since it isn't present in Scripture. They worried that it focused on earning God's favor when, in fact, God's grace was a gift. Now, I want to be clear. The season of Lent was definitely abused by some medieval clergy on various occasions. Those who demanded their parishioners live ascetically while they feasted in their own homes. I can understand why the reformers, who were all about rooting out hypocrisy from the church, would feel a bit wary about this extra-biblical season. But in dropping the rhythm, they passed up its many gifts as well. For many of us, our relationship to food has been shaped by a culture that views food primarily in terms of calories or fuel, as something we have to work against. This mindset feeds the idea that abstention from food is a punishment of some kind. A diet culture approach makes it really difficult to see the pleasure of eating as a good gift from God. And it makes it hard to see the choice to fast as anything other than penance. But fasting is not a diet. Fasting is actually intended to help us reclaim the goodness of food. Fasting is an art, writes Orthodox priest Father Milan Savic. He points to God's restriction of the fruit of the tree in Eden as evidence that fasting is not a way to atone for one's sin, but rather a means of recognizing our human limitations that have existed from the beginning of creation. Fasting is not an act of penance, but a way to guide us into repentance. It's about forming us as individuals and as a community to recognize our utter dependence on God and to value the good gifts of God. As we hunger for the item that we've temporarily set aside, we are reminded that that item is ultimately a gift, a taste of the goodness of God. We can then repent of the ways we have failed to treasure God's creation as a gift, and we can draw near to God through this time of fasting as well as in our future feast. This season of communal fasting also reminds us of our communal identity. The season is not actually about our individual spiritual health, although it can be individually meaningful. But more importantly, it's about our participation in a community of Christians that stretches across time and around the world. Remembering with our whole bodies that we are part of a community that stretches way beyond ourselves is really good for us. 
If you've been part of a church that enforces churchwide fasts and it's felt controlling, this might sound pretty scary and with good reason. The goal here, though, is not some kind of enmeshed dependence with your pastors or your church. It's not do what you say or you are not one of us. Rather, the goal here is a form of hospitable interdependence, a way of acknowledging that we do this fast together because we belong to one another. We are all benefited by our commitment to this bigger community. When I worked in the restaurant industry, I experienced the sort of community that could be formed around Lenten fasting. I spent a year at a restaurant in a heavily Catholic part of town, and several cooks and servers gave up a food item of some sort for the season. For those of you who've never worked in a restaurant before, it's common for someone to make a staff meal every night, a dish that everyone gets to eat before the night's dinner service begins. For six weeks, we had to get creative with every staff meal, taking into account the manager's fast from cheese and a line cook's fast from red meat. Like many restaurants, that kitchen was dysfunctional in several ways. But for those six weeks, a unique bond was formed around our shared support for each other's fast. A few years later, I left the restaurant industry. I was battered by the prevalence of sexual harassment and substance abuse. I had given up coffee and alcohol every Lent of my adult life. The latter, to be honest, a convenient excuse to avoid trips to the bar with my coworkers after every shift. When Lent arrived, I wanted to mark this new phase of life in some different way. I decided to bake bread three times a week, all Lent long. One to eat on my own, one to eat with friends, and one to give away. And I would write through the process too. I invited my very small blog readership at the time to join me in this rhythm. Soon, dozens of new readers joined, too. Together, we baked loaves all across the country and used the practice as an act of prayer. This practice of baking through Lent was a balm to those who could not fast, whether for medical reasons or because of its likelihood to re-trigger an eating disorder. It was a means of rest for weary clergy whose Lent was consumed with guiding their congregation. And it was the start of finding my own way into a post-restaurant vocation. Each year since, I have continued this sourdough Lenten tradition. I've come to understand more and more the ways this rhythm of baking connects us to Christians who've celebrated Lent throughout history. And my eyes have been opened more each year to the ways it connects us to Christ's own story too. I would love to invite you to join me in baking Lenten bread this year and learning a little bit more about what I've discovered along the way. We've got a few different options for you to participate, depending on your budget and your time constraint. This season, each episode of Kitchen Meditations will be all about bread. We'll talk about its history and theology, about the spiritual lessons of each ingredient, and we'll look at stories of bread in the Bible to see what they teach us about God. As always, these episodes are free and just 15 to 20 minutes long. Then, in the baker's table, we'll build on each episode as we learn the craft of baking sourdough. Every Wednesday evening, we'll gather live over Zoom for a workshop. It's recorded for you to rewatch as many times as you need, so don't fret if you can't join us live. Baker's Table members will receive a workbook to follow along all season. 
It contains scripture readings, reflection questions, breath prayers, and baking tips. To sign up, visit community.edibletheology.com or follow the link in our show notes. If you'd like to go a little bit deeper than the podcast alone, but you would prefer something self-guided, then you can follow along using our Bake with the Bible program instead. I'll share the corresponding Bake with the Bible lesson each week in the podcast episode. Choose from the self-guided option if you're on your own, or the children's version if you're using the program at the breakfast table with your kids. Visit edibletheology.com, then scroll to the bottom of the page to purchase the version that's right for you. Didn't quite catch all of that? Don't worry, you can find everything you need to know in the show notes. I hope that this Lent is one of rest, of community, of hospitable interdependence. I hope it's a Lent that brings you joy. Is this not the fast I have chosen to set the oppressed free? Our kitchen tip today is for those who are brand new to the concept of a Lenten fast. If you've never participated in Lent before, and this episode has you wondering if maybe you could, well, I am so glad to have you here. Don't feel pressure to go full force this first year. You don't have to subsist off of just bread and vegetables to draw near to God. Instead, choose one item, like tuna salad, something that you would typically enjoy at least once or twice a week. Remember, this fast is not a diet. It's not an undercover weight loss time, and it's not a way of cutting something out of your diet forever. The desire to more thoroughly enjoy the item that you give up is actually part of the point. Your fast doesn't have to be from food either. It could be from television or social media or just eating out. Every time you feel the urge to enjoy the object you've given up, ask God to fill the void in that moment instead. Don't be ashamed if you slip up, whether on purpose or by total accident. I'm convinced that the inevitability of failure is part of the value of Lent, too. And now to close, a prayer in preparation for Lent. Creator God, you made us to thrive in hospitable interdependence, drawn to each other, to creation, and to you through our need. As we prepare for the fast ahead, remind us that our limits are good. We are not our own. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by Edible Theology, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at edibletheologyproject. If you want to discuss this episode with other food-loving folks, then join our free community at community.edibletheology.com. We post discussion questions every Monday to keep the conversation going. A huge thank you to my assistant, Hannah Hargrave, and to our producer, Jason Rugg, who made this podcast possible. Did you know that subscribing, rating, and reviewing a podcast goes a long way in helping your favorite podcaster? I would love it if you could go hop on over to iTunes or Spotify and give us an honest rating or review. And don't forget, you can share this episode with all of your friends, too.